everybody. Welcome back to Peachy Keen. I'm Vivian Liddell, and this is my podcast. In each episode, I talk to women of all sorts about life and art here in the South. There's no point in wrapping up 2020 for you guys. We lived through it, and for that, I'm grateful. I hope you and your friends and families and friend families are weathering this thing and that you're all staying healthy. But backing down from the most pressing and disturbing, life-threatening aspects of 2020, I do have a few things to say about the year here as it pertains to me and the podcast and women artists. In 2019, there were 10 episodes of Peachy Keen. In 2020, there were only three, including this one. And the first two were recorded before the pandemic hit. So this is the only episode of the whole year that was recorded and released during the pandemic. Usually I record my episodes on location. That's an important part of the process to me, being on someone else's home turf so that they are comfortable and we are surrounded by their work. That's clearly been one of the challenges to making the podcast this year. For this episode, I did make it to the home studio of Alice Stone Collins, the only time I've hung out in someone else's house since March. We were both in a show together in Florida, curated by Jessica Caldas, called I'm Looking Forward to Tomorrow. Jessica recently moved from Atlanta to High Springs, Florida, and started a gallery there called Good News Arts. You guys should check it out. I'll put a link to it at the end of the podcast here. She's the uh, Jessica's the one that recommended that I talk to Alice for the podcast. Alice and I were both teaching in person this past semester, going to work among a fairly risky population of college students who are out partying um, famously. The university where I work at got national coverage for students being out and about partying right before without their mask on right before school is about to start back. So we reasoned it wouldn't be any extra additional risk for us to mask up and talk to each other for the podcast. I brought an extra mic for the occasion to try and make social distancing a little bit easier. You might hear me struggling with that extra tech issue some in this episode. But honestly, the not being able to visit people in their studio issue has not been the main obstacle for me in recording new episodes of the podcast this year. There have been several great articles in The Atlantic in the past few months. I've been kind of glued to The Atlantic and The New York Times trying to limit my media consumption about the damage that the pandemic is doing to feminism and to the careers of working mothers that have really hit home with me. There's also been a specific focus in the media in general on women scientists who are publishing fewer papers. I imagine it's harder to measure the toll that the pandemic has taken on women artists. We aren't publishing papers It's a more mercurial type of career to begin with. Over the course of the past few years on the podcast, I've talked repeatedly about the problem of elitism and exclusion in the art world. Art is oftentimes a career that doesn't make money or when you're making art for personal expression, which means that either you have family money or you're having to work some kind of day job and then doing art in your off time. And if you're a mom, especially a mom in a pandemic with kids at home all day, you don't really have off time. Even in the good old pre-pandemic days, 
being a mom has not been particularly conducive to being a working artist. Only six out of the 33 episodes on this podcast have focused on women who had children living with them at the time I recorded their episodes. I realize this is not a random scientific sampling, but it is a sampling of women that I've somehow, I'm somehow connected to through academia or the gallery scene, so it may tell you something about artists navigating those worlds here in the South. Alice Stone Collins and I have a lot in common, as we are both artists and academics and have children, which means that both of us have had to fight to get in any studio time this year at all, as our children's online learning at home and our students' online learning at work have taken over our lives. I'm going to speak for both of us here. We talk about those quotidian struggles in this episode, but what I think comes through most ardently in our talk is not the frustration that you would expect. What I hear when I listen back on our talk is the sheer giddiness of two artists getting to spend some in-person time together. I was really thrilled and grateful for our time in Alice's studio, a rarity this year, and I'm happy to share it with you all. A little jewel of studio visit normalcy, complete with excitement and nervousness from the mess of 2020. Check it out. I did go set this up yesterday, and it was like, no problem. <laughs> I had my son, and it worked out really right. fine. And then, of course, like I said, this reminds me of my whole semester mm-hmm. at school. Like, it's oh. like one technology oh, yeah. faux pas after another, but... We're like, something is down, Zoom is down, or Teams is down, and it's not working. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, like, stressful, but at this point, I'm also, oh, well, it's just one more thing that's not working. Right. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's a, a classic. I know. All right. So where to even start? Um, I I do want to mention that I was really excited to drive up to your house and oh. see that it looked like your painting. It does. <laughs> I know. <laughs> You will see the neighborhood and a lot of the work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I, I was like delighted to get <laughs> into your neighborhood and I felt like I was in one of the works. I'm like, oh, this is for real. Everything. But you're selling your house. What are you going to do about your work? Like your uh, whole thing is going to change? Well, no, I mean, we are selling our house, but technically we're just moving to the other side of the neighborhood. Oh, okay. So we, Good. um, you know, I run throughout the neighborhood, uh, a lot and, um, so I always know when a house goes for sale and the ones on the other side of the neighborhood are usually, they usually have like basements and, and we just need a little more space. Okay. All, all being at home, like we're like on top of each other all the time. So, um, we knew it was coming anyway, despite the, the pandemic. So, um, it was just a good time. Um, so we put an offer on that one and put our house up and yeah. So the, it won't change that much. <laughs> Same um, atmosphere. <laughs> I, I read on your artist statement that you grew up in Northeast Georgia. Are you a native Georgian? What part of Georgia are you from? I am. I actually grew up right outside of Athens in um, Danielsville, Madison County. Okay. So, yeah. So, um, like farming? Or mm-hmm. What were you guys doing out there? Uh, well, no, my parents were not farmers. They actually taught. They were both educators. Uh, my mom taught fourth grade. My dad taught eighth grade earth science. They both went to the University of Georgia, though. And they were actually both from Cherokee County, okay. uh, but I don't think they wanted to move back there. Um, my mom was still in school, so my dad ended up getting a job um, just at a small middle school out in Madison County. 
Uh, and then when my mom graduated, she ended up getting one too, and they just stayed. I think it was one of those things that was uh, convenience, and then it just kind of stuck. So, and it wasn't, you know, it was only a couple couple of hours from so they could still see family and stuff like that so they've been in the same house (laughs) since since I was born basically so um whereas I have moved around a good bit since leaving that house so we have it's kind of really I think impacted the work living someplace for such a long time and being so different um because it was a really rural area I mean, it was just, it was in the woods. Like, you couldn't see any neighbors. It is just, it's a gravel, dirt driveway full of potholes. And um, even the main road that they lived on wasn't paved until I left. So, did you have any siblings? Did not have any siblings. So, it was just you hanging out in nature all the time? Yeah, and we had two pet goats, <laughs> and, um, which my uncle gave me when I think I was about nine. Um, so it was it was different, you know. It was definitely a different kind of upbringing. I still don't think this mic is working. I think I'm just reading in through your mic. Well, do you want me to just move? <laughs> you can sit there, and I can scoot you know this what? over. Just um, put your mic on Omni, just in case. Which is the, on the back, the one that has the zero, the circle. Put it on the circle, and it'll just pick everything up. Now that will that will pick me up stronger from there, and you'll just be the you'll just be the louder one, and that's fine. Okay. I'm kind of echoey. Um, so no siblings, and you stayed there until you were graduated from high school. Yes, and I even because I went to the University of Georgia, I lived I think my first two years in undergrad at home because um, I didn't want to live in the dorms, and that was I think I started going to school at the time that. Um, before they implemented that all freshmen had to live on dorms or anything. So I lived at home and then um, I moved into an apartment. Um, Yeah, so I was at home for a while. I mean, basically until I was about 20, I think. Mm -hmm. And you were painting and drawing at UGA? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think uh, my, like UGA had it where you could either get a degree in painting or drawing, well, like an emphasis, and mine was actually in drawing, um, okay. which is odd because I don't draw now. Um, I think I was uh, I was always a little uncomfortable with painting. I had a great painting instructor, but I had never painted with oils before, and I, I she was a great instructor, and you know she made you feel very laid back, but she never really taught us how to use a lot of the mediums and so I ended up I just felt like I was just always painting with the I, I never knew how to thin the oils down like I should so I, I took you know painting one painting two and I did get better but it was kind of just struggling through it um, and after I took figure painting which I think was the last requirement that I had to take I uh, when I had all those upper level classes, the aisle, I always chose drawing. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that about not really being taught technique. I'm teaching a painting media and tech class right now, and I was talking to one of my colleagues who's retiring. Mm-hmm. He's like my dad's age. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, you know, the young kids these days teach technique. You know, <laughs> back in my day, we didn't really teach technique. I mean, huh. it's just it was just like a matter of fact, mm-hmm. like... You know, I guess it was more about teaching content and more mm-hmm. about teaching 
modeling like how to be an artist mm-hmm. and you know I think there's there's some truth in that everybody's gonna have to pick up technique to a certain degree on their own mm-hmm. but it is nice to have some basic guidelines like hey if you add medium in yes you know <laughs> well I think you know they, they give you this massive list and so I went out and I bought all the stuff on the list because I'm like you know sophomore like yes I'm excited but I didn't, I don't think we ever, no one ever told us what to use like li- liquid for. And right. I remember it just like sat there and I was like, what is this supposed to do? Like, what is this? <laughs> this is like goopy stuff. Like, um, so I think um, that was really why, because I love color um, and I loved my 2D design class. And I think that was really influential into, um, I tend to always gravitate toward complementary colors. I just don't, uh, that's just. Uh, and I like to see what I can do with very basic colors and how I can push them to their extremes. Um, so I'm not really into buying the specialty colors like the pinks or the purples that are already mixed. I like just seeing how I can get those through pretty basic um, primary and neutral tones. Um, so you're, all of these uh, works that I'm in here, in here with now are gouache and collage, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and what led you to work? At what point did you start working with gouache? Gouache has actually been relatively recent. Uh, probably when we moved back to Atlanta or the Atlanta area back in 2016, I had been working with acrylics. So I think it was a slow transition because when I was in grad school, I started this whole collage thing. And actually, I guess when like when I was an undergrad the works that I applied to grad school I was doing drawings but I was cutting them out and putting them back together okay so when I got in to, undergrad or in grad school? in undergrad in undergrad so it was the work that I did in between undergrad and grad school I in grad school you went to the University of Tennessee mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, what years were you there okay so, so I took I um let's <laughs> It seems such a long time ago. I have to go back and remember. Uh, Okay, I graduated from UT in 2009, and I was there for three years, so I would have gone in 2006. And and then you went to... Where did you go after you graduated from UT? Because you're saying you moved back to Atlanta. Well, I so after I graduated from UT, uh, I had gotten married when I was in grad school, and my husband got a job at um, IU... IUS, Indiana University Southeast, so we moved and lived up in um, New Albany, Indiana, which is right across the uh, bridge from Louisville. We lived there for four years, and that's where my first daughter was born. So he worked at IUS, and I ended up getting just an adjunct position at a community college up there, and I also worked for the Boys and Girls Club. of America and was kind of transitioned into a full-time position there as their arts and cultural director for a few years before my first daughter was born. So we have that in common. I worked at the Boys and Girls Club in Athens. Oh, nice. Very briefly. Mm-hmm. But um, after I'm, I'm, I was in between jobs and my kids were really young mm-hmm. and I taught in their arts after mm-hmm. school arts program mm-hmm. for a little while. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely, you know, that was kind of what I did. Um, Again, when I got a full-time position there, it freed me up to do a little, so I did some grant writing for them and got them a 
Louisville had this like um, Norton Fine Art Grant, uh, so we had a partnership with a local museum up there, and they send they would send re a resident artist in so to work with the kids. So it was really it was good. I I ended up quitting that job once I had my daughter because the hours were like twelve to eight, and I just didn't see how I could do that with like a newborn and child. It wasn't worth it to pay for childcare working there. So, um, so right. we lived, yeah, so we lived there for four years and then we ended up moving to Colorado and we were there, um, for about three and a half years and then we moved here back to Atlanta. So how many kids do you have? We have two, two You now. have two. And where was your second one is a daughter also? Mm -hmm. And she was born in Colorado. Okay. So <clears throat> one kid in Indiana, then you moved to Colorado had another one. Mm -hmm. And how old was your youngest, um, when, when you moved back here? Like, uh, my youngest uh, was about to turn two. And how old is she now? That's like... We've so been she's here... six. Yes. Well, okay. she's about to turn six. Her birthday's okay. next week. <clears throat> Trying to figure all of that out. I mean, I guess as another artist parent, um, just seeing where you are in that trajectory of kids growing up, I know um, you have some relationship to the Artist Mother podcast. Are you mm -hmm. been a, sh a show with them or... I was in a virtual, like their virtual component of their painting at night back okay. in um, March. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a great community. I I um, I'm a mentor with their Crick group this right. this go around, so that's been really great. The again, it's it's nice talking with people who want to have their work critiqued as opposed to students <laughs> who are sometimes like, you're giving me advice. <laughs> so um, you know, they're very open. They they love artists it's just been it's just like a little bit of a breath of fresh air sometimes when you're dealing with um some students who can not be very um, open to critique so yeah totally and I um I was asking because I have I've been on their podcast before I'm also supposed to do some kind of mentor thing mm -hmm. coming up I don't think it's exactly what you're doing but something along those mm -hmm. lines but I, when I, I was in the panel with them and somebody asked me about how I made work when my kids were young and I was like I didn't mm -hmm. um for me it was like about a seven year period where I made no work it was until my youngest was about four years old mm -hmm. so when I'm asking about your kids ages I'm kind of like relating it to my own experience right. like you know how free were you to actually have any time to work at mm -hmm. that point because with young kids it's extremely difficult yeah I uh, you know when my when my daughter was born, my first daughter rose in Louisville. I had a, you know, we had lived there for several years pre-kids and I had a great support system already in place. Um, and it led, I don't know, it just led to a little bit more freedom. Um, I was already connected to the arts community, which really helped. I think that was key in keeping me making work. I had done a residency at the Kentucky Museum of Art and Craft pretty much right when we moved, uh, which was really helpful as a way to kind of immerse me into the art community right off the bat. How long did that residency last? Uh, oh, it was about four months. It was, so it was great. Yeah. That was before your kids were born? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, right after, we, right after I graduated okay. uh, from grad school. It was perfect because... When I was in grad school, I was making, again, very large-scale work, 
that was collage based but it was more installation style so i would take up you know an entire wall i would cut things out and um i actually just staple i use a staple gun to yeah i looked at out. some of those older pieces i remember looking at one that was called like something some year out of the 80s like 1980 oh yeah november 1987 <clears throat> uh, uh, i don't know what happened in november of 1987 but it was just a time stamp taken off a photo that I was using to get all those oh. different floors from. You know how the old school photos will have the little date yeah. down at the bottom? So um, I was uh, I was trying to get away from the figure at that point. Um, my professors in grad school, well, you know, they're just always trying to make you do something different than mm -hmm. what you're doing. So I was getting a lot of pushback against these drawings that I was doing because I was always, I would always use graphite on the people and paint on the objects that were not people uh-huh and so they were like well, what happens if you just take the people out and that's interesting because i was always working from reference photos specifically old family photos i was kind of obsessed with them and um there's only so many times you can ask your friends to to, to pose for you so then i just started <laughs> saying well i'm just gonna go back and look at these old family photos and and so I was using myself, because uh, I was an only child, so my parents had a ton of photos of me. Um, so I just started drawing the surroundings, but I would just take myself out. So that's why it was just a whole bunch of floors, because uh, there were all these pictures of me playing on the floor, but I was always just, I took myself out and <laughs> painted the pattern of the floor. So that kind of just catapulted me into doing these larger installation pieces. And at that time, I was using so much paint, and I was in grad school, that I... I just used house paint. I would take the acrylics and mix up the colors that I wanted, and then I'd go to Home Depot and just buy gallons of, you know, just some cheap house paint, and that's what I would use. And you were still doing collage, though, with that, so you were painting onto paper and then putting it onto the walls and the floors? Mm -hmm. So like, all, like the piece that you're referencing, the November 1987, all of those wood planks were individual wood planks. That you painted. Mm -hmm. Okay, really interesting. And the piece to me, uh, what I thought of when I looked at it is like how we kind of try to reconstruct memories of places mm -hmm. because your, your installation was not a complete reconstruction. Right. It's like all of these little tidbits and there's, it looked like a, like a pixelated, you know, like a Zoom mm -hmm. meeting gone bad yeah. and frozen. You know, and like parts are missing. Right. Um, so I thought that was really interesting because it was as a reconstruction, but you know, it's not a complete memory. Mm -hmm. You know, that's kind of the way I read it. Um, I was curious about that. Like going, it seems like you're going smaller and smaller. Um, <laughs> I saw this is like one of your most recent works that I just saw on Instagram, mm -hmm. right? And it, you know, you said small. I've actually been working even smaller than that. Mm -hmm. That's like an 8 by 10 I think it's 9 by 12 9 by 12 right. mm -hmm. So um, I guess that's where we are in the pandemic. It's right. like we only have a certain amount of time. Um, and yeah, and those have actually, it's, I'm actually making them for the, um, for like a little holiday show. I was asked to make a couple of small pieces. So they, they needed to be like smaller than 12 by 12 inches. For so, the holiday show? What holiday uh, show? The Swan Coach House, the, oh, okay. mini, the mini things or small little, whatever their, their right. title is. So 
those are actually for that show and I just didn't have any pieces that fit that size parameter so I was like well I'll just and it's been such a great thing for me to do right now because again we are in the process of moving and I just find that <laughs> yeah. I can't these are so nice because I can sit down and I can work an hour on them and feel like I've made some progress where sometimes if I only have an hour if I'm working on one of these to me larger pieces um, the like the 24 by 30 I, I just don't feel like I get anything accomplished so the small pieces have been a really nice break a nice relief yeah totally um are your kids out of school still they are they're still just in virtual school um fulton county where we live has opted for them to start going back mm -hmm. and we have opted to not send them back just because you know, the, one of the whole reasons that we moved back to the Atlanta area was because we kind of got to that point in Colorado where we were. It was beautiful. We loved it out there. But if I wanted to go back to work and do anything then other than just kind of adjunct part-time, we needed some type of help. Like, um, I couldn't... You're right. I was... And that, especially when my when my second child came around, that's really that was to me the the hardest yeah. transition. Like, <laughs> you know, and I never, you know, it's not like I had a second kid and I was, or it's not like I was pregnant with my second and I was like, this is it. Like, I, our family is complete. Like, my husband is from a really large family. He's got you know, three sisters. So I think he was just anticipating just to keep having, but after I had that second one, I was just like, this is horrible. <laughs> like, this trans like, cause you know, I had a, a three-year-old and a newborn. And so we're and I don't care what anybody says about the two-year-old stage. The three-year-old stage is much worse. I'm with you, man. And I always say the same thing. Like how old is your child? Like once they hit four, it's a different creature. That yes. three threes was horrible oh. for both of my kids. Yes, it was horrible. And so, you know, imagine my daughter, like she pretty much turned three and then I had Grace, my youngest, and I was just like, I just felt like I'd been slapped in the face. Yeah. Um, and I did not experience that with Rose because again, I had been in this supportive community. I was involved in the arts, but now I was in Colorado. We'd only lived there. Well, I guess we'd lived there for about... Um, two and a half years when my daughter was born but moving there with a you know with a two-year-old I never really got my foot in the door there I tried but I couldn't really go to any openings um, because of the job that Jeremy was working it just really wasn't like he didn't have flexible hours like he did when he was teaching at IUS in Indiana and we didn't do as much trade-off as we did in parenting and a lot of it fell on me and I felt it yeah and I felt guilty if I ever asked him to do things because I knew he was working this more traditional kind of you know eight to five type job so I just I kind of just I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say I was depressed but I definitely stopped making as much work um, I feel like I, I know exactly what you're saying we were in New York 
and we had our second and it was like with our first child first of all he was a better baby <laughs> he slept yes. he ate he was a generally happy baby uh-huh. and i just put him in one of those ergo carriers oh, yeah. and continued on with uh-huh. my life i went uh-huh. to art openings yeah. i was just like what i have a kid no big deal mm-hmm. and then when we had our second kid it just buried me mm-hmm. um because i had this three-year-old yeah who was a monster, who was my yes. really good baby who had turned into a, a Tasmanian yes. devil overnight. <laughs> a tiny tyrant. <laughs> a tiny tyrant. And then, you, I, then I had a, my, my youngest who was a fussy baby. Mm-hmm. So it was just like, oh, I'm done. And I will tell you, I feel, I somehow clawed my way out of that period. Mm-hmm. You know, I think yeah. what you're getting at with your story is you finally moved back to Georgia to have support, mm-hmm. which is exactly what I did. Yeah. And I feel like I've spent you know, their whole kind of childhoods clawing my way to my own art mm-hmm. independence. And then the pandemic hit and oh, I yeah. feel like I'm back with a baby situation. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it, you're so right. I mean, it's, uh, my studio and the time, my time in the studio since the pandemic has, it's, it's, it's like not recognizable to what I had when they were in school. I would have, you know, like three solid days when I wasn't teaching that they were both in school that I could devote to uh, either working or applying to things or doing writing that I needed to be doing. Um, and that does not exist. <laughs> like, I feel you. So I'm curious. So we have the same situation. Athens schools have been completely online. Mm-hmm. November 9th, we're being given the choice. Mm-hmm. And I am sending both of my kids back. Mm-hmm. And it has been, as you know, either choice is a grueling decision. Mm-hmm. Neither one of them seems like a good decision. Right. <clears throat> but, you know, I'm not going to say part of my choice had anything to do with my studio career. Mm-hmm. But I will say that I am looking forward yeah. to having studio time again. Um, and having them back because it's been nothing but a battle since they've been home. So... You you were starting to say that you were choosing to keep them home in line with having more time as well. How how's, Are you having help with them? Or? Yes. Okay. Uh, so my mother comes and helps primarily with my kindergartner. Uh, my older daughter, Rose, is in third grade, and she's pretty self-sufficient. Like, I think she knows how to work most of the systems now better than I do. Mm-hmm. Um so the only thing that sometimes she might still need a little help with is uh, if she has to take like a good photo of something, but primarily because it's hard to take a photo using the computer. So she gets me to take it on, you know, stuff like that. But otherwise, she's she's pretty self-sufficient. But the kindergartner, uh, Grace, she needs, you know, they you basically have to sit kind of with them uh, for the whole time. And so again, we're... We're taking advantage of the fact that we moved back here and we have a, a family member who is willing to come over um, and help. And she enjoys it. She wants to She wants to help out. Even if I was sending them back to school, that's where my complication comes in is because I would still need her help because my work schedule, as you know, you don't go in and work traditional hours when they're just in school. You don't start at eight and get done at two. Right. My hours are more like 11 to six. Right. And so, and same with Jeremy, he, um, 
he doesn't get done until after they are done with school. So is he teaching now too? He is, uh huh. Okay. At college, the college level. No, he no. teaches at a school called Fuji's Academy, which is a school for refugees. And well, they used to be based out of Clarkston. I think they just moved their location, but right now they are completely remote, and I'm not quite sure what the what the winter or spring semester will bring for them. Um, so I, because of that, we still would have been relying on, you know, help from family, which many of them are in kind of that older age bracket that is more kind of susceptible to the virus. So it was a really complicated decision and one that, you know, I'm hoping that we can figure out a way after the break to potentially send them back to school. Cause I, I know they want, they want to go, you know, they want to be in school. Yeah. We, there, it's a comp, there's so many factors involved in our deciding, but one of them was financial. I've been having to pay someone uh, yeah. to help with my youngest mm -hmm. and he's been in a pod for the past mm -hmm. couple of months with like eight other kids. And without that, I think he would have been really depressed. Mm -hmm. Um, he's not handling this well. Yeah. Like, for me, a large majority of my decision was based on the kids' mental health. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, his pod was kind of disbanding at this point, mm -hmm. And I just couldn't see him coming back into his room right. to be by himself again, like, after he was just really getting depressed. And right. so it was like, well, we're going to make this decision for our youngest son, clearly. Mm -hmm. Like, it is clearly the best decision for him. Right. But for our oldest, um, he just kind of got lumped in there because we're like, if your brother's going back to school, yeah. then you should go back. Both of my kids have health issues that I'm concerned mm -hmm. about, okay. which is a whole other thing. And I've spent a lot of time researching. One of them has asthma. seems like that's not the worst thing. Mm -hmm. But the other one has an immune disorder, which is kind of unpredictable. Mm -hmm. He hasn't been showing any symptoms of it. And I asked his doctor. The doctor can't give me any information. <laughs> You know, we yeah. don't have, we don't have facts on this. There's, it's too rare of a condition. Right. So I don't know. <clears throat> I, it's stressful. It is. I just feel like there's no good, you know, there's no good answer. Uh, I worry about the whole social implications as well. Again, my, me being an only child, I don't have any, <laughs> like there's, I don't have any siblings who have kids. Luckily, again, Jeremy has three sisters, two of them live in the area and they each have, um, three kids that are, and so I, but I just feel like it's like, we've kind of created this own little, that, you know, their, their own little pod. Um, <laughs> and are all of their cousins at home right now? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah. So I have two siblings and that is a good way to kind of judge some things, but it's interesting. Um, I was just talking to a good friend of mine yesterday about how we're making all of these decisions right now based on risk and like mm -hmm. risk aversion, mm -hmm. like which friends are on the same risk aversion level mm -hmm. that you're at. And it's really weird how yeah. this is breaking down. But and as far as I have two sisters, I'm the oldest, but I think I'm in the middle as far mm -hmm. as risk aversion mm -hmm. goes. I have one sister who's in Duluth and her son has been back in school okay. already. And I think she's been back in the fray, but she's a single mom. Yeah. She doesn't really have a lot of options. So, you know, 
she kind of had to have her son go back and she's been more in the fray for longer than I have. Mm -hmm. And then my younger sister lives on top of a mountain in Asheville and is completely isolated. isolated. Right. And is like, my parents haven't even seen her oh, wow. um, since January. Mm -hmm. You know, like she hasn't seen anybody in my family. So I don't know. I feel like I'm still in the mid-risk. Mm -hmm. I'm always like looking at things. I don't want to be the most risk-averse, mm -hmm. and I don't want to do the high-risk things either. Right, right. So I'm just trying to navigate that middle territory. But it's really interesting. It I think it plays out in all aspects of our life right now. Mm -hmm. Like all the friends that we used to have, we're now like assessing their personal habits. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Are they wearing masks? Mm -hmm. Are they going out to restaurants? Are they attending UGA right. football games? Like yes, <laughs> I I completely feel yeah. So yeah, it's one of those things. Like, can we have a socially distant walk in the neighborhood? Like, where have you been? So you know. Yeah. You hate to. <laughs> it's like. Well, I even had to go pick up like a new math book for my daughter, and I left my phone at home. So I drove up to the school, and I knew. You know, so I've got my mask. I walked to the front door and there's a sign on the front door and it says, scan this QR code to take our wellness check. And I'm like, well, I don't even have my phone with me. I can't even do this wellness check. So I just kind of came back home and, <laughs> and called them and said, could you just put it on a cart outside already? So it's just so like, it's so in some ways while we have, you know, cause I do hear, you know, everyone's kind of just adjusting to, you know, but at the same time, there's so many things that we haven't adjusted to. And I, I, it's still, I think we've got a ways to go. Um, I think so too. And that was one of my things I've been talking to, uh, the kids friends, you know, at first I thought that my older son's friends were all going back. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the kind of temperature I was getting. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, well we're going to go back cause he needs to be with his friends. He's in middle mm -hmm. school. And now I'm seeing most of them are not going back. Hmm. And now I'm like second guessing, mm. oh man, I like put him in this situation. I don't know. It's, uh, but one of the things that was going through my head is a lot of the people in my circle is saying, well, we'll probably send them back in January. And I'm thinking things are not going to be different in January. Like yeah. in my head, I just don't see how we're going to get from point A to point B by January. And that's part of the reason that we were waiting. Like, I don't even think Fulton County has an option right now. Like they don't, they have not decided. So we're just, uh, waiting to see. And you know, my oldest, she, she definitely misses the school, especially my, I was actually really, and I, I will, you know, credit my own mother for this. And she's been doing the major, like, she loves it. Like she, a kindergarten, like she loves seeing her teacher. Uh, they do these like little sessions and you know, they get to show the class around their house and, um, and the different pets. So she has, she's doing a lot better than I anticipated. Uh, but my oldest, I, I, you know, she's like, well, if we all wear masks, won't we be okay? So yeah, it's, it's hard. <laughs> we're, while we're talking about the pandemic, I was looking through your work uh -huh. and trying to see if I could figure out like a pandemic point. Uh -huh. Like what was the what was the work that comes after the pandemic and before? I feel like a lot of your work was already kind of focused on loneliness uh -huh. and isolation before the pandemic. Uh -huh. Um and I couldn't really see like a change happening 
per se. I didn't. I felt like there was more wildlife taking over after the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Or is that was that a twenty nineteen thing as well? Did you have a lot of wildlife? No, actually, I, I'm trying to think. I think most of the pieces that are in here. So, this one was made in 2019, but that's the only 2019 one that's up. This one with the air freshener trees and the one with the Amazon trucks were the two pieces that were in progress when we started the shutdown back in March. So, your Amazon trucks... You started before mm-hmm. the pandemic? Mm-hmm. That's unbelievable. Yeah, because I sit up here. I mean, this is my studio. And so I can see everybody who goes by. And it's know. a lot of Amazon fans. And I, you know, I was just sitting up here one day, and I just said, I'm going to count how many I see. And it's just kind of unbelievable. I mean, how many different ones? I'm like, can't there just be one? <laughs> like, why do we need to send, like, eight different trucks here for... Um, so then I just started thinking, and I had already uh, been thinking about, like we had already been toying around with this idea of we should stop ordering from Amazon. This is right. ridiculous, and we have since stopped ordering from Amazon. And at a very difficult time to stop ordering yeah. from Amazon. Yeah. So um, are you guys going out shopping, or are you just like no. really trying to find local businesses to? We're order trying from? to find local businesses. Uh, we, you know the. Even before the pandemic, I hated grocery shopping. I couldn't stand it. Right. Um, so I had been using Instacart for over a year. Like, as soon as they became a thing, I was like, oh, I pay a little bit more. That's okay. As long as I don't have to go into a grocery store. And I actually found that I spent less because I wasn't just impulse throwing things in the cart. Um, the only thing that I hated was I was a big Trader Joe's fan, so I don't really go. That was kind of the one grocery store that I typically went to. So I was already using Instacart. We started using, you know, a lot of, like, we use thrift books a lot now if we need books instead of Amazon. And I just try and, um, I do go into stores, but, you know, just smaller ones. Um, I will say Trader Joe's in Athens is one of the most serious lockdown situations. Really? They have, I've only been in there once or twice since the beginning of the year, but they have, you have to wait outside, they count the number of people that go in, Mm -hmm. and they like, you have to wait for them to give you a cart, they clean the cart down for you, gather it, you wait outside until you can enter the store, Hmm. like more than any other grocery store, they Mm -hmm. are pretty intense about their safety procedures there. But yeah, yeah, I haven't been, but I'm tempted to go because I'm. It's funny, I'm not. I'm so not a pumpkin spice anything fan, but they just have like it's just I don't know. It's such a cheery place to to go into <laughs> during the like the holidays, but uh, but yeah. So yeah, we're trying to find smaller places, stores. So that, the, yeah, this was really kind of like a protest of that kind of monolithic, uh, big business. Mm-hmm. Um, before the pandemic, which the pandemic has definitely exacerbated Mm -hmm. that. And it's interesting. So the school bus is post-pandemic. Oh, that was pre as well. Sorry. So that's Mm -hmm. really interesting because the school bus to me does seem kind of apocalyptic. Mm -hmm. I don't know what's going on there, but to me, I looked at it and it's like a mass amount of school buses. It looks like, you know, they're not on roads, and neither one of these are they on roads, they're mm-hmm. on landscapes. So the school bus one, to me, it looks like a kind of Joshua Tree kind of desert landscape. Mm-hmm. And then the Amazon 
trucks are all stuck on the beach, mm-hmm. like stuck in the sand. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I don't know what your original intent was with these, but when I saw the school buses, I definitely thought it was like <laughs> empty school buses kind of stuck in an empty landscape. Um, you can't see people in there. The windows are all tinted. Mm-hmm. You can't even see drivers. It just becomes about like these machines going through an empty landscape. So for me, I was just like, oh, it's it just brought up all of this trauma of mm-hmm. trying to deal with our kids in schools mm-hmm. right now. Um, but that but this was pre-pandemic. So what were you thinking when you made this? Well, I did I did have both of these pieces in mind together. So the school bus was made. Like right, it was one of the first pieces of 2020. So I would say January or February. I can't remember exactly um, the month, but I had um, I had not been to Stone Mountain since we moved back, Mm -hmm. and we my kids had been dying to go to the snow. Yes, Snow Mountain. Yes, we did it. Yeah, so we went over the holiday over Christmas. Uh, and we, we hiked up first and it was, I don't know, it was just very surreal, like something about hiking up, being surrounded by all of these people of different ethnicities, then going to Snow Mountain and literally staring up at that dock, at the, at the monument while you're in an inner tube. Like it just, it was like hilarious to me and it was sad and like I just... The irony of it, uh, I just really wanted to do something with Stone Mountain in it. But I also... That's interesting. We had the exact same experience. I had gone there a lot as a child. Uh Uh-huh. And I didn't want to take my kids there because of the Confederate monument. Exactly. But then there was the snow thing. Mm -hmm. That's exactly the thing that brought us Mm -hmm. there because we didn't have snow. And the kids were like, can we go somewhere that has snow? And Mm -hmm. I was like, I can't afford that. We're just going to go to Stone Mountain. But, you know, it is what you said. It's changed a lot mm-hmm. since my childhood. Mm-hmm. And it is very diverse. Mm-hmm. And somehow all of those diverse peoples are just ignoring... They are. ...this giant thing that's yes. there. I mean, that's weird. To, so what does that have to do with the school buses, though? So I think I was thinking uh, back to, to more kind of political issues of you know, old school busing issues mm. and coming up. Um, and But also just thinking about the mentality of trying to teach my kids that that's not okay, being up all night. It's a, I just feel like it's this weird thing. Like, let's go outside. Let's hike and do something good for your body. And here's this monument. <laughs> um, so it's a very kind of complicated... It's, it's hard to talk to them about because they, of course, associate this place with fun and right. joy and I don't necessarily, and how do I, I don't want to give them any negative connotation, but I also want them to, I I take that back, I want them to develop, have their own feelings and emotions about a specific place, but I feel like there also has to be an accurate sense of historical accuracy that goes along with it. Uh, So it was just a complicated thing that I was trying to deal with Mm -hmm. uh, in, in both the experience and having to talk to them about it. And that naturally led into the Amazon pieces, the fouling the nest, because I'm thinking about how failed systems <laughs> that kind of created this, the, um, the buddy system piece with the school buses, 
and fouling the nest, think about all these corporations who are, are, are just corrupt. And uh, I put them on a beach because I was thinking about um, sea turtles coming up and laying their, their <laughs> eggs on the beach, but how they're endangered and people are often not respecting their eggs and go mm -hmm. and, you know, they get destroyed and... So, so I just, these instead are... Um, that makes sense now because I can see them coming out of the water. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the more I look at this, the more interpretations I would have. But I did get the feeling of like being stuck in mm -hmm. the sand. They're kind of like... And, you know, both of these are in places where they're not supposed to be. They're like invasive. Right. right. And I think even with the buddy system, like I, I didn't title it anything about Stone Mountain on purpose. Like I knew that most people would not recognize it as Stone Mountain surface, but I did want it to have, like you referenced, that kind of ap apocalyptic quality mm -hmm. of barren. And I remember that's also something feeling when you're up there kind of on top of this. It's just a big piece of rock. And, you know, there's a couple of scraggly trees up there. Uh, so to me, that also created this interesting parallel of this... Uh, rock that nothing is really living on. Um, so these pieces on this other wall that all have animals in them mm -hmm. are all post-pandemic? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it does, and what about, these are new too, right? Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> there is a big, uh, looks like nature taking over kind mm -hmm. of theme happening here with you've got deers running through the streets of like a suburban neighborhood and a bunch of parrots. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of parrots and I don't know what, like an empty carport, it looks like. Well, it's a, um, so that piece is called Talking Points. Uh, I had, uh, my parents, you know, still live in Athens. So uh, when my mother is here, the three days a week that she helps out with my daughter, she goes and stays in her childhood home, which is my grandmother's old house that nobody lives in anymore. So that is her, that is like the porch off the back. Okay. And uh, I taken my kids to see my parents at uh, my grandparents' old house. And I was just kind of walking around and snapped that picture. And this was, again, I think, I see, I, Everything just blurs together. So you forget what was happening politically when I did yeah. this. But I've been kind of obsessed uh, listening just to... It's very hard for me to go back into the mindset of listening to the traditional podcast that I listened to pre-pandemic. Mm. Um, I need to get back into them. But I, I kind of just... I listen to The Daily and Code Switch. And I'm kind of just filled to the brim with kind of what's going on in the world and it definitely has impacted. So I was thinking of all of these different uh, voices that are saying things, but I don't really think they mean anything, uh, what they're talking about. And is the fact of not, are, is anybody really listening? Is anyone on the same page? Does anyone understand what anyone else is saying? Uh, and I paired the parrot specifically with my grandmother's backyard because when I was little and would go and stay with her, just thinking about how there was a level of understanding that was going to happen there. But, you know, especially as I got older, I was in middle school, like I would sit inside and watch TV most of the day and she'd be outside and doing yard work. And we would come together and have these conversations at the end of the day. Um, but I don't know if I really respected where, the place where she, she was coming from. And I also don't know that 
I felt like there were obviously, you know, I was a teenager. Like, um, so thinking about those, those conversations, thinking about listening to people who are just talking, but are just talking to be talking. Right. Um, uh, and, and I think I was also thinking about, so I was, I, was, I like to, to go into a piece with a bunch of different ideas and emotions. Um, so comparing my experience with my grandmother as like a teenager, but also going back and thinking when I was a kid, like seven and eight, spending the night over there and, you know, the, the fears that you have as a kid, like, well, what happens if somebody dies while I'm here? Like, do, do I know how to call someone? Do I know, like, right. who to tell? Uh, and those questions of who to communicate with, when to communicate with someone, the feeling of being responsible when you're so young, and also how that feeling, um, uh, as we become kind of teenagers, we have like a lack of compassion in a way, and empathy, and there's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it takes you a while, I guess, to put these together, and you're, I don't know how much you have planned out in advance. I've watched a couple of your Instagram videos, um, where you, it looks like you paint in some gouache in the background to start with, mm -hmm. and then you're painting pieces on other sheets of paper mm -hmm. and layering them in with glue. The collage process, you know, when I first saw your work, I did not realize they were collage mm -hmm. um, because they don't necessarily do anything that mm -hmm. you couldn't do with just painting, mm -hmm. um, which is really interesting to me. But there is like a level of, I don't know how to say this, I guess perfection mm -hmm. in the way that things are arranged mm -hmm. that I would, um, I work some with collage and fabric and I find it very easy compared to straight up painting mm -hmm. because you can have a kind of plan, but for me it's just, there's no fear of screwing up mm -hmm. because I know whatever I do, I still have the opportunity to remove it. Right. Um, and kind of start over. So I don't know if you feel that way about your process, like if uh, how much you actually move things around. Oh um, yeah, a so lot. much. Yeah. Um, okay. Like there is. I always start uh, with sketches. I'm trying to see if I can find. Um, you know, like. Oh, well, like for that little piece down there, like I did, you know, I'll do a sketch uh, and I actually painted all of these little trees to put in that small piece and that one's not completely done yet, but I painted them and then I didn't end up including them because they didn't look right once I started to glue. So I only, I took out like I think three that I had three little smaller ones um, and same goes like in the pool floats, I had done a sketch uh, and once I got them all laid down, I realized I needed a lot more pool floats. So I actually, while the glue was still wet, I, I peeled them all back off. Mm -hmm. I painted, um, about four or five more floats and then I re-glued everything back down. So it'd have kind of a more layered approach. It's the same thing, I guess, as, as if you were working on a painting and you knew it needed something and you would have to either rub something out and repaint on top of it. Um, I guess the only difference is, is I'm just doing it with, with cut paper. I also kind of like building them from the ground up. Uh, like I like the concept of p 
painting that street with all those deer and seeing what it looked like before all the deer were put down. Right. Um, any type of interior space, like again, the bed and the bunnies. I like seeing the empty room just with the floorboards and then gluing the bed down. Like it's, it's almost like you're like going through the process of, of adding for like of decorating. It's a, it's a, I, it makes me feel a closer connection to the pieces and the places that I'm recreating in a way. Uh, so again, I'll be, and sometimes the sketches that I do beforehand are different stages. Like in the bed piece, I did a sketch of the bed, but it had no bunnies. And I was thinking, well, what could I put in? I really enjoy drawing this. I think I would like to paint it. What, what could I add to this piece to bump it up a notch? Um, Where is this bed? What is this a real this bed? This is our bed. Okay. Uh, it's an, uh, it doesn't look like this anymore because I've taken the stuff off the wall and we don't have the the cover but um it's yeah it's just my bedroom and you actually have pet bunnies yeah. i think i heard you mention something about your dog and the bunnies yes downstairs. we have two bunnies uh-huh and they are just running around in the house yeah they're they're kind of like cats yeah uh, for, they use a litter box so i do put them up at night because they like to chew things but other we, than i that, raised rabbits when i was mm -hmm. little but we didn't have them in the house. But I did. I am familiar with them as house pets. Mm -hmm. They're pretty cute. Um, how does your dog get along with them? Uh, well, our older dog Judy, she taller. She was afraid of them at first because <laughs> she couldn't see them. So I think it was hard for her to tell what exactly they were. Now, if they get too close to her, because they will come right up, and she just barks at them, mm -hmm. and they go away. And we have another dog that's just not here right now. Um, and she is very tolerant. Like she just she acknowledges them, but she just treats them the way that most dogs would probably treat a, a fellow house cat. Right. Interesting. So, so the bunnies. There wasn't a specific reason other than that you have bunnies. Um, I don't know. I'm just looking at like the deer. You've got some actual animals. Uh, there's all kinds of animals, you know, mm -hmm. there's parrots. What kind of animal is this over here? Is this a vulture? It's a vulture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A vulture, and then you've got horses that are from a carousel, You're but right. disconnected. Mm -hmm. This actually um, reminds me of one thing I wanted to bring up with you. I noticed in your artist statement, you mentioned um, Lisa Frank mm -hmm. and her stickers. I, I had those mm -hmm. when I was in middle school on the Trapper Keepers, mm -hmm. and uh, I can definitely see that especially like in this piece with mm -hmm. the floats and the food, <clears throat> that kind of poppy aesthetic. Mm -hmm. um, there was one piece that you had on your website, I don't see it here, that had horses that looked like they were straight out of Elisa Frank. They were mm -hmm. like... The My pink. Little Pony with the hearts, the blank flanks. Yeah, okay, yeah. those were My Little Ponies? Well, I, I mean, those are, they're actual horses, but I was, the title is called Blank Flanks, okay. which, uh, again... Kind of like when you heard me ramble on about the talking points piece, I have an initial idea and sometimes the underlying concept for the piece to me doesn't even become clear until I'm about halfway through working on it. So I know I wanted to do something, you know, it might just be like again with the bunnies, like, oh, I want to paint that bed or with the blank things, I want to paint these horses and I want to make them pink and purple, <laughs> like, right. you know, okay, so what's why do I want to do this so then I start thinking about uh, what's happened to me recently that makes me want to paint this so 
I think my kids were playing with, uh, they have these large scale horses to go with these dolls that they have. Um, and then thinking about how they used to be really into My Little Pony. So then I started researching My Little Ponies and their cutie marks. That's what they're called right. on their blanks. And apparently they also, if, a, if a My Little Pony is born without a, a cutie mark, then they're called blank blanks. Oh my gosh. And, and I just thought that was hilarious. <laughs> and I was like, well, that sounds so like discriminatory. Yeah. Like, you're a blank blank. <laughs> And then putting them in the neighborhood and thinking about how we in actuality always, we always have our own cutie marks, whether it's the cars that we park outside in our garages or, uh, or outside of our garage or, you know, the, I'm thinking of just walking through the neighborhood and who's decorated for Halloween, who's not decorated, um, who uses a lawn service, who doesn't use a, like, I'm just thinking about all these things and how, my Little Ponies is actually very reflective of society. And again, like, oh, that's so sad. Right. <laughs> like, how pop culture so many times reflects everything that we're already feeding into the system. So uh, that's why the, the horses were there. Um, the, the carousel piece uh, was early in the pandemic when we really were not going anywhere not even to the greenway to ride bikes, but we were riding a lot of bikes in the neighborhood and we have a cul-de-sac in our neighborhood at the other end. And mm. my kids just love riding around and around and around that <laughs> island. And I remember just being like, are you guys not bored? Can we, can we go home? <laughs> like, yeah. And just thinking how that brought them so much joy and sitting down there, because there's usually a little bench in the aisle, in the middle of the island and I would just sit there and watch them and... I guess contemplating that that is kind of an essence what I was doing every day was getting up and riding around the same roundabout uh, just in the what our daily lives were looking like at that time that we weren't going anywhere um, so that you know that's kind of why the carousel horses ended up going around the roundabout um, the deer running down the neighborhood and I think the wildlife really came out to me because I started taking a lot of walks at night mm -hmm. because again we're all at home all day all the time like I just need to be out of the house and not have anyone talking to me so I would just go out and walk the dogs and like I would see snakes and possums and all these animals and I I don't know if it was just that I was so busy before. I know I never took walks at night before the pandemic because I was usually doing something important. Or, yeah. you know. I think also um, I noticed when I first went back to teaching in Dahlonega, there was a ton of wildlife on mm -hmm. campus mm -hmm. because there had been no students there right. for so long that I think the animals were like, oh, we're safe here mm -hmm. now. Um, we're going to set up camp. Right, right. Um, and I have noticed a lot more deer that are kind of more brave because I guess there aren't as many people in their exactly. spaces. Yeah, so seeing all those deer and then thinking about, we, we did take a short family trip up to Pigeon Forge, uh, stayed at a cabin, and I had just finished this piece, but I had no idea what I was going to title it yet. And I remember on the drive up there, driving through kind of the downtown Pigeon Forge area, and it was just packed. So, I mean, just the amount of people, I was like, 
oh my gosh, did I not get the memo that the <laughs> pandemic was over? It's like, and nobody's wearing masks. Right. And I was, so that's how I came up with the herd immunity title. Mm-hmm. Um, it just seemed to fit. So, yeah, I went out, was it yesterday or the day before? So it was graduation weekend in Athens mm-hmm. this weekend. The spring graduation that was postponed was held this past weekend. Okay. And my son and I walked down to Daily Grocery, which is normally a place where we would go in, grab something, and leave. Mm-hmm. And they just opened back up again. We would go there, walk there, and get popsicles, mm-hmm. walk home. So we've just started doing this again. And it, you know, it feels nice to be doing it, but it's also still very cautious. It's not, mm-hmm. the whole store's not open. We're just right. stepping back into that. And we hear these, a ton of voices. And I look at my son and I'm like, somebody's having a party, like a big party. And he's like, no, 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 that's the radio. I'm like, no, it's a party. And we, sure enough, we come up and there's, I guess, a graduation party going on. Hmm. And there was young and old people, I mean, elderly people, kids, wow. college students. I mean, there was definitely well over, I would say, 50 people there. And they were all crammed, not wearing masks. They were outside. Mm-hmm. But... I told my husband I can't. It was so jarring mm-hmm. to hear that many voices right. at once because I haven't heard a room full of people mm-hmm. in so long. But I also like hated myself for being so judgy. Yeah. Like I I saw all of them having a good time, and my first reaction was like, "What the heck? You're gonna mm-hmm. kill your grandparents!" Mm-hmm. Like you know, <laughs> and yeah. um, and I'm like, "This you know, they're trying to celebrate. Mm-hmm. Like why can't I just let them have that moment? They've taken that right. risk." You know, and like, I don't know, it was just, it was, it was so complex. Mm -hmm. Just walking by a party is like such a complex emotion right now. Yeah. And I think for me, it's not even so much judging. It's, it's like a, oh, am I, am I being too cautious? Did, is this how the rest of the world is acting? And I've just been like, in my, like, it's almost like a, it's not feeling left out, but it's, it's, it's just a sense of other worldness that I just feel like I'm I'm missing something. Well, I think it's definitely coming down along political divides. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's something I'm really aware of, especially as I'm choosing to send my kids back to school. Uh, all the all the schools in what I call the hinterlands, mm-hmm. the 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 places around Athens, mm-hmm. Oconee County, you know, Barrow, their kids are already in right. school. They've mm-hmm. been in school. Exactly. You know? And I tried to look into what's happening there, but it's very opaque. Mm-hmm. Like, I wanted numbers. How many kids have gotten sick? Have any, has anybody died because of these mm-hmm. school openings? There's nothing. In mm-hmm. fact, the state of Georgia has explicitly chosen not to release that mm-hmm. information. They're leaving it up to individual schools. Right. And individual schools, you know, they don't have the ability. They're not a college. Mm-mm. They don't have professors that do research, you know. Mm-hmm. They've got teachers that are struggling to do yeah their basic everyday drop jobs without killing themselves, mm-hmm. literally. And, you know, so that information's not out there. But I just, I do think it's very political. And I often, you know, I, I like you, I'm like, am I overreacting? Yeah. Like, is this, am I being crazy right, right. now for yes. what I'm doing? Like, that's another thing. You know, like, are these people not wearing the mm-hmm. mask right? Mm-hmm. But then, you know, it's just... It's so complicated. A friend of mine who I was talking to that I mentioned earlier, she lived in Japan for a while. And she's really curious, like, how is this going to affect our reality going forward? Like, 
because in a lot of Asia, people wear masks all the time mm-hmm. and have been doing that for years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is that what a new U.S. is going to look like? But in Georgia, it already doesn't look like that now. I mean, you know, yeah. in a lot of places, that's why there is this divide. I think if everybody was wearing masks, mm-hmm. then I would feel much safer. Right going back to school, sending my kids to school. Mm-hmm. But it is because a lot of people feel like it's an infringement on their freedom and they're not wearing the mask. Mm-hmm. That it makes the, uh, the rest of us who are used to doing the school projects by ourselves, as the, as the meme says, yes. yeah. <laughs> have to be overly compensated. Right. You know? I don't know. No, I, I agree. I, again... So much of that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm venting. I'm I'm enjoying the company of a human, no, right? That is not my student, or not on a screen, and not on a screen. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, just let me vent. But I do. I do want to wrap this up. I want to ask you about a couple of shows that you have. I'm pretty impressed. Um, so we're both in a show together right now, mm-hmm. and I was noticing that we've been in shows together in the past, Yeah. but I did not know this. Um, I don't know if there's any other ones, but I noticed we were both in the Create Her show at Kylin, uh-huh. which was at the very beginning of it the was. pandemic, to the point where he was like, should we have an opening or not? It was that point, and I, I think they did have an opening, and I didn't go. They did, and I did go. And you I, did? Yes, but I remember it was one of those things where... Um, Jeremy was like, are you sure you want to go? And I was like, yes, I want to go. Um, because I, uh, and I think some of that came with, um, it was, it was hard for me to integrate myself into the, uh, kind of art scene here in Atlanta. And I think that was because again, when we moved here, I still had that two year old, she just turned two, five year old. And it just takes, a, it just takes a while to kind of get everyone situated and then I was finally getting to a point where I was making work again um and so when I finally was able to have some of my work and you know because I was still shipping my work off but it was in like Colorado galleries where we had been and I like so I was I just told I was like I'm going I will stay socially distant (laughs) like um and I went early, so there weren't that many people, and I didn't stay very long. But it was it was it was it was a great show. It was if, I, if I was in Atlanta, I would have gone. It was just it, the fact that it was it was at the beginning of the mm-hmm. pandemic, and I was in Athens. Yeah. And I didn't want to drive out of town. Yeah. No, I completely like stopping at gas stations right, exactly. and all of that kind of extra stuff. But yeah, so we've been in that show. I don't know if there's any other shows besides the one we're in now, which is the Good News Art Show that Jessica called us is. Uh, running a new gallery down mm-hmm. in Florida, which is very exciting. And I saw you dropping your work off yes. that. So mm-hmm. we're like pandemic buddies. Yes. I've seen you more than anybody else. I know. <laughs> During the pandemic. Um, uh, but I saw that you also, what about this ghost online gallery? You have a solo show there. Has that already happened? Oh, so I had a show. It was a two-person exhibition. Um, and it was back, I think, at the beginning of the year. We, okay. we were one of the first shows to kind of um, kick off and I'm trying to think because I want to definitely mention who I was in that show with. Well, you know, you can you can always send me stuff if you want. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to because I just can't remember her. But she had this beautiful, like they were nice uh, representational oil portraits. 
Uh, and I think they did pair nicely with the work because mine had no figures and it, right. and hers uh, were so hyper kind of realistic, very detailed portraits, uh, usually pairings of people together. Um, so that was back at the beginning of the year. Uh, yeah, it was a good, it was a great, uh, the Ghost Gallery is a great platform. I'm sorry. I see you have a solo show coming up in Sheridan, Wyoming. Yeah, it's at a, it's at a college out there, Sheridan College. Um, it was actually an open call that mm -hmm. I applied for, but it it's um, they uh, you you go and like do an artist talk and like a little um, studio visits and uh, demos like with their students. So again, I I'm not quite sure how that's going to look. When is that supposed to be? Uh, well, again, the last time I had been in contact with their gallery director was to set it up, but I'm wondering if they've had to postpone some of their shows that were before right. and if that would impact when my potential date would be. So that's actually on my list of things to do is to email her and kind of just get an update because that's kind of what I always... I just always pretend like I have a show on the horizon. Right. It's a way for me to continue to, to make work. Um, but I really have been thinking about that show, but I also have been thinking, well, if it's, if it's going to be later, do, do I want to, you know, do I want to use this time to kind of experiment a little more? Uh, and I try and do that naturally when I work, but you know what it's like when you're making work for something as right. opposed to just making work to see what happens. Not so. a lot of dilly-dallying. Right. That's, right. Uh, yeah, I work better with deadlines too. Mm -hmm. I'm, I've just started trying to look at showing again because of that. Yeah. Um, and this I, need a, I need deadlines right now because it's so hard to work. This one, I'm just, it, it was actually in the stay-at-home gallery, but sometimes because oh, the pieces yeah. are so detailed, they get, it's not intentional, um, they just, all those little lines on that piece are individual paper, so one of them had come on, like, had started to peel up, so I had to glue it back down. Oh, that's <laughs> funny. I meant to ask you about your artist influences, and when I first came in here, I saw, saw that you had this Vivian Meyer mm -hmm. street photographer book out, and I'm like, oh, she's into Vivian Meyer, and now I'm realizing that you just had it down there, too. I thought you had it out, like, maybe you wanted to talk about Vivian no, Meyer. No, no, I... <laughs> It was funny. I use, like, I actually have all my studio books in that closet along with some more stored pieces, but I, I actually love Vivian Meyer. I think she's a, I think she does oddly influence, I mean, I like her photographs just because they're so beautiful, but when you think about all of her photography, how she was a nanny for, mm -hmm. you know, years, right. and she would just go around and take these photos of things that they would see, and I think, oh, well, I'm basically doing the same thing, but I'm adding kind of like this little surrealistic twist. Mm -hmm. uh, but some of her pieces, I'm trying to think of one that I, it's toward the end of the, like they're just so, you know, like a dead horse. Like yeah. I'm just thinking, like I did a piece earlier in the year of a dead deer at the, at the front of the subdivision in the neighborhood. And just, there is a strange similarity, but yes. I would not have thought of it until I saw that. But it's funny because I thought you had that out there to talk about her, and now I'm realizing you had it out there just to weight down your piece. Yeah, <laughs> and that's how I, I all the pieces get weighted down with books, uh, usually multiple times, because I glue things down and multiple, you know, I I can't glue everything down at once. It never works, so I have to kind of glue things down in stages and let it dry and cut more things out and glue them down. Um, but I'm definitely kind of a, like I'm a stickler for composition. So that I think that's one of the main reasons why I just continue to work with collage because I, 
you know, it gives me until the last minute that I glue something down to play around with that composition and say, is this right? Uh, is, is this what I want it to look like? <laughs> so. Well, it's really awesome to see all of your works in person. <laughs> um, and thank you so much for having me in your studio yeah. during a pandemic. I right. appreciate the willingness to, uh, go there with yeah, me for I, a podcast. I'm so eager to have some type of interaction with with someone, like you said, not a student <laughs> or my own family or, or yelling at neighbors across the street. So. Well, thank you so much, Alice. I love the, seeing your work. And oh, thank you. To talk to you. Yeah. Thanks again to Alice Stone Collins. It was really wonderful to have a brief break from pandemic isolation and a chance to talk art and life with her. I hope you all enjoyed our talk as much as I did. Special thanks to Jessica Caldas for suggesting that Alice and I get together on the occasion of the inaugural show at her new gallery, Good News Arts. You can still catch the Swan Coach House show, Little Things, curated by Marianne Lambert, that Alice mentioned making some small-scale work for. It's up until January the 7th. If you've never been to the Swan Coach House Gallery, I highly recommend it. It's on the same grounds as the Atlanta History Center in Buckhead. I like to go to both when I'm in the neighborhood. And to follow up on the two-person exhibition at Ghost Art Project that Alice had, it was with Allison Dysink, who has some really interesting figurative work. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like the Ghost Art Project is still operating with a website, so I'm putting a link to Dysink's website on the Peachy Keen page. I've also got links to Alice Stone Collins' website and her Instagram page and other web resources related to our chat on the Peachy Keen page of my website at Vivian Liddell, that's V-I-V-I-A-N-L-I-D-D-E-L-L dot com, along with images from our studio visit. Thanks so much for listening to episode 33 of Peachy Keen Podcast. There are so many great women artists around the Southeast, and as you can tell by listening, I love getting to know them and their work and being able to share it with you all as well. I always welcome individual feedback, but it would be really helpful to support the podcast if you could leave a quick review on iTunes, which is now called Apple Podcast, or on Stitcher. You can put in any name you like. It's pretty anonymous and only takes a minute, but it really helps people find the podcast since podcasts are ranked by reviews. Peachy Keen also has a Patreon page where you can join as a subscriber to pledge your financial support, just go to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and search for Peachy Keen Podcast. Or you can use the link on the Peachy Keen page of my website. Fingers crossed we can get back to a more regular podcasting schedule sometime in the foreseeable future of 2021. In the meantime, Happy New Year to all of you. And I hope you and yours are keeping safe, seeing and making some art if you can, and that your days are peachy keen.